What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode five of season three of So What, hosted by me, Isabella Rosner. Is my voice haunting your dreams at this point, more than 50 episodes into the pod? Probably. This episode is the second mini-episode of the season, and for those of you who don't know or remember, these mini-episodes focus on indigenous needlework techniques around the world. The last mini-episode was about Europe, and I talked about Eastern European folk dress traditions, and this one is about the Americas, specifically molas, the reverse applicated textiles of the Kuna, and indigenous people of Panama and Colombia. It was actually a So What listener named Alice who recommended I talk about Kuna molas, so thank you, Alice. Before I get into those, though, time to quickly go through the So What social media talk. You know it, you love it, dare I say you even crave it? Images of what I discuss in this episode, as well as the sources I used to learn all about what I am discussing, are on the So What Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. You can find those by searching So What Podcast. All the images and sources, as well as other goodies, are on the pod's website, which is sowhatpodcast.com. And we have a Patreon, too, if you want to support the pod and get exclusive content. That's at patreon.com slash sowhatpodcast. How many times can I say So What Podcast in a single paragraph? Clearly a whole lot. Okay, now let's get into Kuna Needlework. But first, some context. We love context. I'm assuming most listeners are not familiar with the Kuna people. I wasn't either. But now I am, and I am so grateful for that. Kuna is actually spelled Guna, with a G, after an orthographic reform in 2010, but my research has found that English speakers usually use a K sound because we can't pronounce Guna correctly, so I'll be saying Kuna for the rest of the episode. The Kuna are an indigenous group about 50,000 people strong. The majority live in three politically autonomous reservations in Panama, in a few small villages in Colombia, and in various cities across the region. Most of the Kuna population live in Kunayala, also known as the San Blas Islands, in northeast Panama. When the Spanish conquistadors invaded, the Kuna people were living in what is now northern Colombia and the Darien province of Panama. They later moved westward toward Cunayala because of conflicts with the Spanish and other indigenous groups. The economy of Cunayala is based on agriculture, fishing, and the manufacture of clothing and textiles, with a long tradition of international trade. It is that clothing-slash-textile situation that we are here for today. The textile in question is the mola. Molas, which form part of traditional Kuna women's clothing, are internationally known and are held in museum collections around the world. They are brightly colored and feature geometric designs rendered using reverse applique. And they are honestly so beautiful. But you'll see that for yourself when you look at the images on these So What social media pages. Molas were, and still are, created in pairs to create the front and back panels of a blouse, so they are a central building block of Kuna women's garments. This is how our mola journey will go today. We'll start with the history, then we'll talk about their meaning and use, and then we'll get into the technique and construction. Cool? Cool. Alright, history time. According to Kuna legend, molas were created at the beginning of time by their ancient ancestors and hidden away in a kalu, an underworld fortress called Tuipis. 
I am not going to lie, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's T-U-I-P-I-S in English. Tuipis is considered the origin place of all things related to women in Kuna culture. And despite their mythical origins, the materials used to make molas, like cloth, thread, scissors, and needles, were only brought to the region by European missionaries and tradespeople in the 18th century. Michel Perron, in a 1999 book called Magnificent Molas, The Art of Kuna Indians, states that even though it is not known when the technique used to make molas was first used, it seems to have originated in the second half of the 19th century. Kuna women didn't wear any garments on their upper bodies until the region was victim to imperialism. Traditionally, Kuna women wore only skirts and decorated their upper bodies with painted geometric and organic designs. It's likely those designs that inspired the designs seen in molas. When Christian missionaries came to this part of the Americas in the 16th century, they required women to wear blouses. So clearly, molas are the intersection of traditional Kuna body painting and tattooing and limitations placed upon them by their Spanish colonizers. And even though something beautiful grew out of that intersection, it's still a very, very oof situation. Also oof is what happened in 1919. In that year, the president of Panama, Belisario Porras, began a policy of forced assimilation and banned Kuna women from wearing molas and having their noses pierced. This was done in an attempt to westernize the population and to assert control, which again, oof, yikes, 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 you know we hate to see it. That was and is a bad time, but it does show how important molas were to the Kuna people, as the banning of this traditional dress was a factor in the Kuna Revolution of 1925. According to a 2021 article about molas in Selvage magazine, after the revolution, quote, the mola transcended its role as a garment to serve as a visual embodiment of the strength and survival of Kuna identity, end quote. Mola making is a women's art which is taught to girls when they're quite young. When exactly a girl is taught to make molas changes from island to island in the Kuna Yala region. Some molas have specific purposes, worn for housework, as nightgowns, for going out, or for special occasions. Molas are also very, very popular souvenirs in Panama and Colombia. So popular, in fact, that their sale nearly rivals the sale of coconuts and crayfish, which are the two primary exports of that region. In this souvenir form, they are just panels rather than sewn into full garments. And what are traditional Kuna women's garments, you may ask? Well, the traditional costume of a Kuna woman consists of a patterned blue cotton wrapped skirt, a red and yellow headscarf, arm and leg beads, gold nose rings and earrings, and a many layered and finely sewn mola panel blouse. This blouse involves two mola panels, a yoke, and arms. As I mentioned earlier, the mola serves as a symbol of the synthesis of traditional Kuna culture and the modern westernized world. I said earlier that mola art really developed and grew when the Kuna population had access to store-bought haberdashery, but what I did not say is that mola designs are often inspired by modern graphics and visual culture. These images include things like Felix the Cat, Batman, names of sports teams, and various logos. There it is, the power of visual culture and of consumer culture. Fascinating, isn't it? 
Molas made for the tourist industry and those made for Kuna women themselves are really different in terms of quality. Tourist molas are usually machine-sewn and lack the imperfections that indicate that a mola is for use rather than simply display. As I said at the very beginning of this episode, molas are made in pairs, consisting of the back and front panels of a blouse. The pair includes two variations on a theme, purposefully meant to complement each other. I love the duality of that, that every mola has its natural soulmate. According to a blog post written by Laura Leeper and published on the blog of the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, the almost mirror image designs of mola panels may have cultural significance, as the idea of duality is central to Kuna thought. According to Kuna beliefs, all beings, both animate and inanimate, have an invisible double called a purba. Also, Kuna ritual songs and chants are often recited in pairs and lyrics are sometimes repeated twice in a row. When it comes to technique and construction, mola-making women have followed the same tried-and-true methods they have followed for more than a century. Molas are reverse applique central. To make one, a woman stitches together between two and seven pieces of fabric of different colors. She then cuts out patterns in the top and middle layers to reveal the underlayers, all of which are different colors. The largest pattern is cut from the top layer, and progressively smaller patterns are cut from each subsequent layer, revealing the colors beneath in successive layers. Does that make sense? I hope so. After that, the mola maker folds over and stitches the edges of the patterns she has cut out. Sometimes those edges are stitched down with matching thread colors so the stitches are nearly invisible, and at other times, contrasting thread is used as a design choice. This cutting away of fabric to reveal a design is called reverse applique. These reverse applique designs include things like stylized figures, animals, plants, mythical imagery, scenes of music performances, dancing and sports, and abstract geometric patterns, pop culture references, and everything in between. There are lots of factors at play when it comes to the quality of mola construction. The quality of a mola depends on a huge number of things, like the number of layers of fabric, the fineness of the stitching, the evenness and width of the cutouts, the addition of things like embroidery or zigzag borders, and the general vibe of the design and color combinations. The Mola Wikipedia page has a lot of claims about these factors without any citations, but I will share them with you and ask you to take these statements with a large grain of salt in case they're completely unfounded. This is what's written, quote, Molas vary greatly in quality, and the pricing to buyers varies accordingly. A greater number of layers is generally a sign of higher quality, Two-layer molas are common, but examples with four or more layers will demand a better price. The quality of stitching is also a factor, with the stitching on the best molas being close to invisible. Although some molas rely on embroidery to some degree to enhance the design, those which are made using only the pure reverse applique technique, or nearly so, are considered better." End quote. I truly do not know if any of these statements are actually true, but if you happen to know if you are informed about molas, please tell me. What I don't know if I've made clear in this episode is how popular molas are amongst textile collectors and how many there are in museum collections around the world. 
There are a ton, indicated by the fact that there have been quite a few exhibitions focused on Jess Molas in major museums in the last decade. In 2010 and 11, the Textile Museum of Canada displayed Drawing with Scissors, Molas from Kunayala. And in 2012, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art displayed them in an exhibition called Stitching Worlds, Mola Art of the Kuna. There's even an exhibition about Molas currently on right now, running until January 2022, at the Cleveland Museum of Art. It's called Fashioning Identity, Mola Textiles of Panama. So yeah, as you see, molas are very much a favorite when it comes to textiles on display in museums. They are the perfect crowd pleasers. They're bright, vibrant, bold, and unlike most other textiles. And they are representations of the power of dress, of a group of people rallying to make textiles to symbolize their independence. The promotional text accompanying the Cleveland Museum of Art exhibition summarizes the power of the mola really well. Quote, the mola is a key component of traditional dress amongst the indigenous Kuna women of Panama. Kuna women have been sewing mola blouses since the turn of the 20th century, and they have become powerful symbols of their culture and identity. During the Kuna Revolution of 1925, Kuna people rallied around their right to make and wear molas as a statement of their independence. They ultimately gained sovereignty over their territory, an archipelago of hundreds of small islands along Panama's Atlantic coast, known collectively as Cunayala. Molas are masterfully hand-sewn cotton panels that are made in pairs and sewn into blouses. They feature a wide array of vibrantly colored compositions, with designs ranging from geometric abstraction to imaginative scenes inspired by popular Western culture. Strong expressions of duality, repetition, and equilibrium are evident in mola imagery, both in single panels and those comprising the front and back of a blouse. Driven by precise aesthetic values and a spirited practice of artistic critique, Kuna women are passionate about making ever more innovative mola designs that continue to push the boundaries of their cultural tradition." End quote. I think that text is a really good way to summarize this episode. Not only does the current Cleveland show make clear just how popular and important molas are today at this very moment, it also illustrates the role of molas as vehicles of personal and community identity, paradigms of women's art production, and symbols of the blending of tradition and modernity. Something that I haven't seen written about in anything I've read about molas, but that I want to bring up is this many-layered nature of the mola itself. The reverse applique method makes what is typically hidden visible, makes the interior part of the exterior. As I read about making molas, I kept thinking about this cutting of layers to reveal what's underneath, and I thought of that not only as a way to see inside a person, but also to see Kuna traditions within a colonial frame. I envision it as Kuna women using the haberdashery first brought to the region by Spanish colonizers as a foundation that is then cut away to reveal what's underneath, the Kuna tradition of body painting and tattooing. With each piece that's cut out, more layers are revealed and we move closer to the past, to how Kuna women adorned themselves before Christian missionaries made them cover up. I don't know if that's how you see it, but that's how I view this reverse applique and this subtractive rather than additive textile art. 
Even though molas are a pretty modern textile tradition, the method of their making feels like going back in time. So yeah, those are my thoughts. I hope that now that you have molas on the mind, you'll see them left, right, and center in museums wherever in the world you are. I hope that you'll explore the art of more than a century of Kuna women who have cut and stitched and crafted this vibrant, singular art form and who wear their work on their chest, close to their heart. What a cool, powerful thing that is, I think. I hope you think so too. Thanks for listening. Now go out and stitch some stories and buy a mola so that mola sales can surpass Panamanian and Colombian coconut and crayfish sales. Bye! Thank you.